So this is patient care theory one, unit six, part 10. So hypertension, the short form for hypertension is HTN. Hypertension is just HTN. HTN, yeah, hypertension is HTN. There we go. So when you're documenting, uh, when you're documenting past medical history, you would just put HTN, that means hypertension. For diabetes, so I'll give you an example. We, we either say they're IDDM or they're NIDDM, which is insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus or non-insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus, yeah. Is, um, not, is T1D or T2D acceptable? No, you mean type two, type one? Yeah. No, oh. no, because um, um, the reason is because type two, for example, that's a logical question, type two diabetes is usually non-insulin dependent, but you can have type <coughs> two deteriorate to the point where it becomes insulin dependent. That's why we use um, NIDDM and IDDM. But if, if I've got a type two patient who's insulin dependent, I'll usually put a caveat there, um, IDDM type two, but otherwise we just use IDDM or NIDDM. IDDM is, yeah, or anyway. Um, those are just some short forms. Let's carry on here. Okay, uh, so classification of hypertension. Um, generally, when uh, patients have sustained blood pressures of 140 over 90 and higher, those are the patients who need to be on antihypertensives. And so I've said this before, take your parents' blood pressure, take your grandparents' blood pressure, take your brother and sister's blood pressure. Uh, if they're consistently 140 over 90, they need to get on antihypertensive meds. They'll live a lot longer on antihypertensive meds. They might live another 10 years, 20 years longer, but if they don't deal with it, um, ultimately it's gonna kill them. Right? And, uh, but people always say, well, I feel fine. Yeah, well, you're also dying. So take your damn blood pressure pills. Mom. Yeah, mom. <laughs> My mom is 89, she takes no meds. Weird, eh? And she's the skinniest one in the family. She's the most fit in the family. She dances twice a week and DJs once a week. It's unbelievable. Yeah. No, not hip hop, but uh, ballroom dancing. Yeah. Uh, so stage two hypertension would be uh, uh, greater than 160 over 100. And so some definitions, so, um, Hypertensive emergencies or hypertensive crisis. Um, this is um, uh, a situation that's life-threatening and, and immediate treatment is needed. And um, hypertensive crisis is not defined so much by the numbers as it is by really high blood pressure numbers combined with um, uh, acute impairment of certain organ systems like the central nervous system, the cardiovascular system, or renal system. Um, so for example, um, as a guide, BP is greater than 180 over greater than 120 is considered high. Oftentimes when we see patients in hypertensive crisis, they're um, in excess of 210, 220 over 120. Um, and then they may have neurological, cardiovascular, or respiratory um, signs. So let me come to that in a minute. So etiology, um, it's a hypertensive disease. They, um, you'll see some patients with something called uh, autonomic dysreflexia. Those are spinal cord injury patients, uh, usually paraplegics. 
And um, so uh, usually, um, oh sorry, quadriplegics, so usually above T5, T6, not paraplegics. And um, uh, it separates the sympathetic and parasympathetic pathways, disconnecting the feedback loop. So you remember how sympathetic and parasympathetic is like having one foot on the gas pedal, one foot on the brake, and they work in tandem, right, to regulate the body's heart rate and blood pressure to meet metabolic demands. Well, that connection is lost, right, uh, from the spinal cord injury. And so, uh, for example, a full bladder can elicit a sympathetic response that goes unopposed by the parasympathetic nervous system, uh, resulting in extremely high blood pressure. So if you ever get someone in the wheelchair with a really high blood pressure, chances are that's an autonomic dysreflexia. If they have a urinary bag, check it, make sure it's emptied, that you empty it out, uh, but they may have an obstruction uh, and a full bladder that might be uh, the cause. So presentation, typically diastolic's greater than 120. Neural signs, um, you know, if you've got a really high blood pressure, you're going to get a, raise in inter a rise in intracranial pressure. They can present with headache or ataxia. Did we talk about ataxia? Do you know what that word means? It means a staggered walk. Ataxia means their, their gait is off. Gait means their walk. They, they, they don't walk normally. They look like they're staggering, like a drunk. Ataxia, confusion, altered LOA. They may have focal deficits, so, you know, one-sided weakness. They may have seizures, and the risk is, with a hypertension crisis, that they uh, blow a vessel, and they uh, have an intracranial hemorrhage and go into a coma. Right? Um, they may have uh, visual ocular disturbances, like uh, diplopia. Do you know what diplopia is? <coughs> double vision. Double vision. Photophobia. Do you know what that is? A lot of elderly patients have photophobia. Photophobia? Yeah. It's sensitivity to light, so they're light sensitive. You see old people with those big sunglasses that come right around the sides? So I used to live in Whistler, right? And I bought a pair of sunglasses in Whistler many, many years ago. My favorite pair of sunglasses, they're a little larger than most sunglasses, right? Uh, and they're beautiful sunglasses for skiing. It's like the best things ever, short of wearing ski goggles. And so I wear these big sunglasses, and I'm doing a shift uh, with this young guy, Cornell, one day, and we finished a call, and I left my sunglasses on the, on the dashboard. And Cornell says, Rob, we gotta go back to the hospital. Uh, you know, our, our, our patient left their sunglasses here. It was an older patient that we had. I said, no, Cornell, those are mine. <laughs> he, he razzed me incessantly after that. <laughs> we get a call. Rob, do you need your walker, or are you going to use a cane this time? <laughs> so, uh, uh, so photophobia, nystagmus. Anyone know what nystagmus is? Yeah, yeah, nystagmus. So uh, some patients have this, uh, but you'll see it in a hypertensive crisis as well, where the eyes, the most common form is uh, horizontal nystagmus, where the eyes deviate to one side, and then they flicker like this, back and forth. Both eyes, and they go back. Or they ha may have uh, vertical nystagmus, where it goes up and Flickers like that. Um, I'll show you. Um, I'll show you a video. I think I got one here too. They may have nausea, vomiting. Um, so here's what uh, here's what nystagmus looks like. Uh, sorry, as I was saying, um, some patients have nystagmus and it's not uh, a big issue for them. But you can also get nystagmus as a result of uh, raised intracranial pressure from. Uh, hypertensive crisis, 
or from uh, intracranial bleed, uh, stroke, that sort of thing. So it's one of the things we look for. We look for pupil size and are they equal, are they both reactive to light or is one sluggish versus the other? We look for nystagmus as well. So nystagmus you might see just in their eyes that are uh, midline, you might see nystagmus or you get them to look to one side or the other, you may see nystagmus, so that would be a sign. Um, the last time I had a patient with nystagmus was, uh, I think he was a 54 year old man who um, worked a night shift and he woke up in the afternoon uh, with a headache. Uh, it was the worst headache of his life and uh, when we got to his apartment, his door was open and he was sitting you know, up against the wall uh, with his eyes closed, tight, really tight. And um, I came in and I, uh, I said, hi, I'm Rob, I'm one of the paramedics, this is my partner, so-and-so. And I said, well, what's going on? And he said, I've got a really bad headache, horrible headache. And I asked him, when did this start? You know, did the usual OPQRST. And I said, you've got your eyes closed really tight shut. Is, are your eyes sensitive to light? Is the light bothering? And he said, yeah. So he's photophobic. And um, um, we did some assessments. And then I said, if you don't mind, I'm going to get you to try to open your eyes. And uh, when he opened his eyes, I could see he had nystagmus. His eyes were like really pronounced flickering like that. And that's uh, one of the signs of raised intracranial pressure. That's uh, a uh, hypertensive crisis. That's life-threatening, right? So this guy could um, develop uh, intracerebral bleed. So what do we do for this guy? We put him on the stretcher and we transport, that's it. I put an IV in the back of the ambulance only because I was worried that he was gonna go into cardiac arrest on me. I was worried he was gonna develop an intracerebral bleed and crash out on me, but there was no need to give him fluid. There was no need to give him drugs. I'm certainly not gonna give him fluids because he had a pressure of like 230 on 134 or something. It was outrageously high. <coughs> and. Um, he just had a headache and he had nystagmus and he had photophobia. He didn't have any chest pain. Some patients will get cardiac symptoms. Some patients will get short of breath. Uh, some patients will develop renal issues, but that's neither here nor there for us in the pre-hospital setting. Uh, but he was definitely having hypertensive crisis. So we got the call for a bad headache, right? That's dispatch priority three. And we came back to the hospital priority four lights and sirens. So um, that's, uh, I love those calls when you get called code three and you come back code four, those are just fun, right, because they surprise you, you know. Not that you would wish, you know, hypertensive crisis on anyone, but when you get there, it's like, yeah, this is interesting. It's beautiful. You know. Inner voice, though, right? <coughs> so, uh, not much we could do for him. Now, uh, some medics have asked, you know, um, nitroglycerin drops their blood pressure. Can we give nitroglycerin for hypertensive crisis? And the answer is uh, emphatically no. Um, Nitroglycerin, so what they need is a drug that's going to steadily lower their blood pressure and do it in a very consistent way. So they might give them a, an angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor. Sometimes they'll give them a sublingual ACE inhibitor. Sometimes they'll put them on a drug called Nipride, which is an arterial vasodilator. But it's gotta be um, a drug that's given in a very precise way uh, and um, uh, in a constant infusion, ideally, or drug that's gonna work in a consistent way. And so here's, here's the problem with nitroglycerin. So, nitroglycerin we give sublingual, right? So we use this for cardiac ischemia and, uh, and for cardiogenic pulmonary edema, um, but we don't use it for high blood pressure. Here's why. So you've got time, and you've got um, 
plasma concentration. So uh, when you're looking at the drug's therapeutic effects, you've got plasma concentration of the drug and you've got a time period. And when you give nitroglycerin sublingual, um, every drug has a therapeutic window, right? So it doesn't work below the therapeutic window. It may cause problems like hypotension above the therapeutic window. So we give it sublingual, Q five minutes. So on and so forth. We get it into the therapeutic window, and then it starts to dip down, and we give it again. It starts to dip down, we give it again. But nitroglycerin's effect on the blood pressure is unpredictable. It's also more of a venodilator, and what these patients need is an arterial dilator. Nitro does dilate arteries, but not uh, to the same extent that does uh, venodilation. And so if you don't give it, if you give it, but you don't give it precisely every five minutes and precisely the same dose every five minutes, because when you're spraying 0.4 milligrams, you're not always going to get 0.4 milligrams each, each time you spray, because spray is somewhat unpredictable, right? But if you, if you go off this rigid time sequence or you get to six doses and, and now you've run out of doses and you arrive in the hospital, they can have a rebound hypertension that can cause an intracerebral bleed. So nitro could be fatal for these patients. So we avoid uh, nitrates that are given sublingual and nitrates that have a short uh, duration, uh, like sublingual nitro. So they need to be treated in the hospital. They need to be treated in a hurry. So any questions about um, hypertensive crisis? The unfortunate thing about hypertensive crisis as well is um, um, sometimes um, they're so vasoconstricted they hypoperfuse the renal system and that triggers the renin-angiotensin system. And renin, have you guys covered renin-angiotensin in patho yet? Okay, so renin-angiotensin, you know, increases your blood pressure. So you've got a hypertensive crisis and you've got diminished blood flow of the kidneys as a consequence and now you initiate your renin-angiotensin system which just compounds the hypertension. So it's a vicious circle. Um, the body is definitely not a perfect organ. Uh, so other organs can be affected. Cardiovascular, they can have chest pain, cardiac ischemia, uh, back pain, aortic dissection. They can have dyspnea, pulmonary edema, congestive heart failure. Um, history, so we wanna uh, find out about uh, hypertensive drug therapy that they're on and are they compliant with their drugs? Um, are they taking any over-the-counter preparations such as sympathomimetic agents like ephedrine or something like that? Um, and look for alternatives because uh, if you've got friends or family who take other, anything other than prescribed meds or uh, appropriate over-the-counter drugs, uh, they're really taking a gamble with their health. Uh, use of illicit drugs like cocaine. Um, prior hypertension or thyroid disease or Cushing's disease or um, systematic, um, systemic lupus disease uh, and renal disease. Uh, so management, um, we treat the patient, not the BP. So minimal exertion, position of comfort, O2 if needed, ECG, SpO2, transport, and uh, nitro we've already talked about. Can kill them and there's some additional reading. Any questions about hypertensive crises? No. Remember yesterday we were talking about um, cardiogenic pulmonary edema. 
uh, oftentimes, you know, one of the things that may put them into cardiogenic pulmonary edema is just a hypertensive event, not a crisis, but an elevated blood pressure that just puts too much workload on that failing heart, and they go into pulmonary edema, or it can be cardiac ischemia or STEMI. So, different from hypertensive crisis.